Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to Conservation Voices for the Primate Cast. I'm your host, Cecil Sarabian, and in this cold Inuyama winter, I would like to take you back to Hawaii, where the IUCN World Conservation Congress took place in Honolulu last September. He spent his life fighting for South African wildlife, and he's now on the front line of a movement trying to stop lions being bred for the bullet. Dr. Andrew Venter is the CEO of Wildlands and the executive producer of Blood Lions. I think South Africa is most probably one of the only places in the world where we breed lions commercially. And we breed them for hunting. We're talking of six to eight thousand lions in captivity. It's not against the law. It's extremely unethical and immoral and against the animal's welfare, but it's not against the law. Breeding wild animals is no sin. Part of the story, part of the narrative is brutality. Every single day in South Africa, at least two to three captive bred and bred tame lions are being slaughtered in Camp You may all remember, or have heard about Cecil the lion, this big, beautiful black male killed in Wange National Park in Zimbabwe in July 2015. What you may not know, however, is that Cecil's killing was not an isolated incident, but part of the large industry of trophy hunting. Cecil's death provoked massive outrage from the public, but also unveiled the shameful practice of canned lion hunting. Canned lion hunting is um, where lions are hunted under conditions where basically they can't escape. The principle of hunting is fair chase. The idea that when you go out, um, it's you against that animal, and that that animal stands, if, if it's on top of its game, knows what it's doing, it can get away from you. Canned lions are lions usually that are bred, captive bred, so they've been habituated. They weren't raised by um, adult lions. They were raised by humans. They were bottle-fed. They were cuddled, so they have no fear of humans. Two, usually released into areas... Um, which are not big enough for them to really get away, so from a range perspective. So they're not scared of people, they don't have enough space to get away, and then thirdly, um, they don't know their territory. So in South Africa it's legal that after four days a lion may be hunted, so it'd be released and four days later be hunted, and it's simply impossible for a lion in four days to learn its territory, to socialise with other animals, so all the, all the criteria for a fair chase, reasons why a lion can get away, fail. So Blood Lions, the movie, is about the industry of lion hunting in South Africa. But what, what brought you into the cause? So personally, um, I, I care deeply about um, Africa's wildlife. You know, I spent my life <laughs> fighting for it. In this particular case, um, what really drew me in and drew wildlands in was that um, this industry is creating a horrendous reputation for us around the world. It's making us look bad. And it's making it very hard for us to convince the international community that what we do in South Africa is ethical and above board. Because it's so bad and gets such media coverage, and of course we've added to that now, Increasingly, there's a perception that South Africa is dodgy, that there's something wrong in conservation. So that's why we got involved, is we wanted to sort it out. So we can focus on all the good stuff we do. All right. So why is it still legal, then? Uh 
Yeah, the, the industry um, started growing in the late 90s. It was very small in those days, a few people doing it, and they were doing it very quiet on the quiet, and, in, and not illegally, but they were, they were doing stuff that, they were doing it silently behind the scenes. Now, in South Africa, we have a very strong legal framework, and one of those, one of the principles is you can't simply shut something down that has been in practice for a number of years. So because this industry has been around for 10, 15 years, and it's grown from strength to strength, the industry now has rights, which they can argue in a court of law that they do, that they have as much right to exist um, as any other industry. Um, so for that reason, it's not just about going and shutting them down. We actually have to demonstrate that they have a negative impact um, on conservation, one, and then two, uh, we have to demonstrate that there is fraud and illegal activity in the industry. So, for instance, the volunteer piece. Mm -hmm. We are fighting that to say it's fraudulent. In, uh, volunteers are being conned. They're arriving, they believe they're saving Africa's lions. In fact, what they're doing is they're raising lions to be hunted. So, we're having to deal with the fraud and the cons in that rather than just stop the industry, which should have happened 20 years ago. Mm. So, I mean, following that... The movie focuses mainly on, on, on lion hunting, but it also introduces the alternative motivations for uh, lion breeding, such as you said, um, so petting lions, walking with lions, or even having your wedding organized around, surrounded yeah, by lions, taking pictures with lions, and ultimately perhaps uh, this bone business for traditional yeah. Chinese medicine. So do you have any uh, facts or Yeah, a massive. So... Um, We know, for instance, that there are, first of all, about 8,000 lions in captive breeding facilities in South Africa. Um, interestingly enough, about 2,000 tiger as well, in about 200 facilities. The, the hunting industry, so the hunting of, of lions in South Africa, generates about 122 million rand, so around about 12, 10, 10 million dollars per annum. Um, It's a, it's a sizable um, industry. It, it's in the hands of a few people who are making a lot of money out of it. The, the petting and the tourism um, side of it, not as clear to define. There's, there's probably about 40, 50 facilities that offer that as an opportunity. Um, the volunteer tourism, massive. Uh, probably a thousand plus volunteers coming to the country each year paying... You know, Uh, 10 to 15,000 rand um, for a two-week experience. Um, and that's an operation that's growing and growing and growing all the time. So it's an industry that's growing. Having said that, since we launched the film, so we launched the film in July 2015. Since then, we've seen a significant reduction in the number of volunteers coming in. We've seen a number of the petting and walking with facilities closed. We've seen a 50% reduction in the number of lions hunted. And so we're hurting that. The piece that we aren't touching is the bone trade. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the piece that will be the legacy of all of this because in this environment, we can embarrass and hurt the market forces around tourism and hunting. We can't do that around bone trade. Mm -hmm. That market is not easily embarrassed. And so what's starting to happen is more and more facilities that were doing these other activities now are simply breeding lion to be slaughtered.
at least a thousand per annum. We'll probably find now it's closer to two to three thousand. I suspect this 2016 there'll be a peak because the number of people are, are moving line at the moment. You know. How were those uh, facts traced? They are they CITES exports, so it's CITES database. So it's very accurate. Um, I would say 99% accurate in terms of um, carcasses and things going mm -hmm. off. Yeah. Uh, going back to the hunting part, so in the movie one of the investigators simulates being a trophy hunter and he goes far as he could uh, into the role. And he bought a ticket for Johannesburg so he was ready and planned on killing this female lion that he bought for 5,400 US dollars. There is a wide range of, of prices right, yeah. according to them. So a young male would be about 16,000 uh, US dollars and a big black male would be 40,000 US dollars. So Some of those places guarantee the killing, some others don't, because the park is, is larger and, and they have uh, some walking days before uh, encountering those animals. But what do you think is driving the demand for lion hunting? The first difference is that if, if you're hunting a wild lion, there's no guarantee. And that's why often you'll do a 10 or 14 day safari, um, because they're large areas and animals are moving. Having said that, majority, if, you, if you're coming out on a 14-day safari, you'll get a lion. You know, they, they, the odds are good. The captive bred market has allowed us to offer discounted lion hunting. So the wild lion, hard to do, very expensive, long time out. Captive bred allows you to come in and within a couple of days hunt a lion. Now, it is actually guaranteed because they introduce the lion for you to hunt um, into a small area. The bluff is amongst the professional hunters, so the actual, um, your guides. So the guides are convincing the client that it's a hard hunt and they can't find the animal and they don't know where they are. Often, they know exactly where the animal is because it's a small property, it's an animal doesn't know, it's gone into hiding, and so they find it quickly and then they basically spend a day or two driving you around the property, confusing you until the stages, you suddenly cross the line and while wow, there's a line and then you go into the kill. So there's a whole uh, uh, dramatic performance that goes around that. But what's driving it is um, cheap lines um, and the reality that within that particular community, um, hunting a lion is one of those ultimate trophies. To be able to talk to your peer group, to your family, you're a real man, a real woman, I guess, if you shoot a lion. Another issue I, I would like to bring up here is this confusion between wild animals and pet animals. So in those sanctuary or game reserves or whatever name they have, so as we mentioned, there is volunteering, wedding, taking pictures, and people are ready to pay a lot of money for that. But they most often, as, as you mentioned, it, it comes from a, a good intention. Yeah. They, they think they, they are going to be in contact with those incredible animals and they are going to save them. But they don't, don't realize the negative impact that it can have on conservation education, for example. How can we change this approach? It's, uh, it's something that we, we, we question all the time because it's, it's an education issue. It's about people realizing that what they're doing is wrong. Um, And you only, we only will get that right by uh, education campaigns. Um, we, over the last year in particular, have run massive campaigns in this regard, mainly social media and print media, um, and have had huge success, so there's a much greater awareness. But having said that, there's still 
there's still a group of people who who still do it and and just simply don't believe that there's anything wrong with it they don't believe that what we're saying is true because when you go to those facilities you're told um, that those lions will not be hunted that they will be you know they'll live to a ripe old age etc etc there's lots of stuff like that so I think it is um, it's an awareness issue we would love to get legislation in place that would um, stop it and I think it's possible in three to four to five years time but there's a very strong lobby from those groups not to shut them down arguing the economic value of the, arguing the job creation those sorts of issues yeah. yeah or perhaps putting a legislation in place that for those good sanctuaries that anyway it's a trade-off for them because they, they might receive volunteers and they will make money out of it it's a trade-off between receiving this money and keeping a certain ethic uh, regarding their conservation value yeah it's uh, it, it is It is, and I understand that it's complicated. There's a, a facility just outside Johannesburg called the Lion Park. It's one of the first facilities to offer um, lion petting. And they've been, they were the target of a very aggressive campaign. They actually shut last year and relocated. And when they shut, they came out with a media release to say they are going to stop the petting of lions. They will simply be a, safari, a small safari park. So a drive-through zoo, effectively. And they opened this year, they spent a fortune establishing, they opened without petting, and three months later they introduced petting because they couldn't make it work financially. It's a shame. It is. <laughs> At the end of the screening, um, you mentioned that anyway, even if we make petting, walking, hunting disappear, like we won't be able to control this... Um, Lion bone. Yeah, the lion bone markets. How do you look toward the future regarding this? So, so that trade model is, um, it's, it has to be controlled by two things. So one, we need the CITES um, oversight. Now CITES is not going to block it. Because it's the breeding of captive bred animals, um, CITES in fact encourages that. For the bone market. For the bone market. Because the argument is that um, by supplying captive bred bones into that market, you take the pressure off the wild population. So it's a very twisted argument, but that's the CITES argument. Okay. So they encourage you to set up captive bred facilities to supply um, wildlife product. Um, the one, one angle in that, though, is that you can only supply through a CITES mechanism, if it's a CITES one, if you are what they call CITES registered. So then that requires a formal registration process, which doesn't exist in the country at the moment. So who delivers the status in the country? Uh, Department of Environment Affairs. So it's a, a South African government, Environment Affairs. So they would then have to, if it was, if Lionel uplisted to CITES 1 now, at the CITES meeting, which is a proposal, um, which is not supported by the South African government, if it was uplisted, then... The trade would continue, but every facility that is trading would have to formally register with Environment Affairs as a CITES uh, facility, and we'd be able to lobby into that as to what the conditions of registration are. So we can, at the very least, make sure that the animal welfare issues are dealt with in those facilities, that the, the lions are reared under the best possible circumstances. That's the one side. The other side is the demand. So as long as there's a demand there will be a trade. Um, and, and we know that now against every species on the planet. Uh, there, 
it, um, limiting trade doesn't stop trade, <laughs> and CITES 1 doesn't stop trade. It just makes it harder, and it, makes, uh, you, you, it gives you additional teeth. So there's a lot of work going on um, around many, um, many destructive activities, so your um, you know, shark fin, your um, ivory horn, lots of campaigning which are targeting demand, and those are targeting at a source market, mainly China and Vietnam, and arguing that this is not worth doing. That hasn't started around lion yet, and mainly because the lion bone trade at this stage is not impacting on wild lion conservation. Um, the minute that that starts happening, then you will see that movement, and, and there'll be a campaign into China to basically uh, point out to the Chinese that they no longer are um, getting tiger bone in their wine, because it's called tiger bone wine, not lion bone wine. They don't know that lions are being substituted into that. Um, so that would be the first point to say you're being, you know, you're being cheated on it. And then secondly, that it actually has no value and has a negative impact. But we need both those pieces. Um, I, I don't see any way of simply stopping it. Um, because we're in this crazy situation that the fact that they have traded lion bones for the last five years gives them the right to continue doing that in perpetuity by our laws. So lastly, the movie was released last year. Did it have any societal and political impact? Yeah, so the, the movie was um, launched middle of last year. It, um, it was released a week before Cecil was hunted. And so um, the combination, and I would say 80% the Cecil factor and then 20% the Blood Lions factor, meant that the movie um, got a lot of attention. Um, and we were able to do distribution deals. It's on TV in 185 countries around the world. It's constantly being screened at festivals all over the world. Um, we've just launched a great program, Youth for Lions, um, which is targeting senior scholars, university students, volunteers, and effectively getting them to champion the cause and to screen it, um, and then to share those screenings. So we're getting lots of screening happening. We've also built a, a, a very strong campaign, social media campaign and tourism campaign, targeting tourism operators and getting lots of traction there. So the impacts have been that we've seen a big drop-off in the number of volunteers coming through to facilities that breed lions. It hasn't stopped, but it's probably 10-15% of what it was a year ago. So it's a massive impact there. We've seen facilities close because they no longer have volunteers coming We've then seen, um, we launched a campaign called um, Born to Live Wild, which is a brand that um, inbound tourism operators into Africa have now signed up on, over 70 of them. These are all the significant uh, uh, European and, and American inbound operators, as well as the operators in Africa, who basically have pledged that they will not support any animal engagement, so no petting, no walking with, no riding, because we've included elephants into that from a riding perspective. And we know that that's had a big impact on those facilities that are providing, because those are the markets that people come into, and they're now telling their clients, don't go there. Um, we had a, a great breakthrough last year with the Professional Hunters Association. Um, who, so if you are hunting in South Africa, you have to be a member of the association. And the association came out and said that, in, this was in October, that they were formally, their language, distancing themselves from the hunting of captive bred lions. Until such stage as the IUCN 
um, uh, recognizes the conservation value. So the two things we got, one, they've stopped supporting it, they were fighting for it, and two, we now have a motion from the IUCN saying there is no conservation value and it needs to stop. So that really means that it's very hard to argue that there's anything ethically right in that. Um, the other thing that we've now just a big breakthrough in the last two weeks through the IUCN process um, is we've engaged with our department, Environment Affairs, eventually, and they have agreed now to do two key things. One, to work with us to formally define canned hunting in terms of legal, legally define it. Um, with a view then that we can put legislation in which prohibits the hunting under canned conditions. Because at the moment, up until now, they've refused to do that because they didn't want to do that because once you do that, you then stop that industry. Whereas they now have agreed to do that. Um, and then the second thing uh, that they've agreed to do is to formally drive through legislation around the welfare of animals in captivity, which doesn't exist. So to put that in place, so getting those two things is going to make it much easier for us legally to make it harder to run the operations. If you want to follow the movement or even get involved in the cause by, for example, organizing a screening of the film around you, please visit www.bloodlions.org and follow them on Facebook at Blood Lions and Youth for Lions. This is it for Conservation Voices today. I wish you all a wonderful day wherever you are and hope to talk to you very soon. You have been listening to The Primate Cast, a podcast series dedicated to the study and conservation of primates around the world. Brought to you by the Centre for International Collaboration and Advanced Studies in Primatology at the Primate Research Institute of Kyoto University. Visit us online at www.cicasp.pri.kyoto-u.ac.jp forward slash news forward slash podcasts and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash the primatecast and on Twitter at the primatecast.